yeah, yeah. I mean, I personally just went for a ride on one then, and uh, they're pretty comfortable, aren't they? I can see what you mean by uh, the, the older clientele being a little bit more uh, adaptable to their needs, so to speak. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho, welcome to episode 93 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about seat posts. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist, and a review to get us underway today. But I have to warn you, it is very long. Excellent science-based information. Five stars from the Beavenator from the U.S., After being semi-retired for the past six years, taking care of my children, I recently started rebuilding my strength and conditioning business, attempting to focus on coaching cycling as it is my passion. In looking around for information as I attempt to get back in the game, I came across this podcast and I have to say it is excellent and has really spurred some thoughts and conversations from my training partners and colleagues. It is entertaining, chocked full of useful information and well-produced. By far the most useful cycling podcast I have come across. Damien has made my commute time quite productive. The only negative I can come up with is that he is prone to talking very quickly. Dude, Damien, slow it down. Some of us are trying to take notes. I know, I know, I know I should slow it down. I will. But I just get so pumped every time it's showtime. But Beavenator, thank you for taking the time out to write that review. It really does mean a lot. And a reminder to you that if you do like the show, I would love a review on iTunes or Stitcher because five stars makes me feel... Thank you very much. Now, two articles from the web this week. Article number one, effects of music tempo on performance, psychological and physiological variables during 20 kilometers cycling in well-trained cyclists. Yes, it is another one of those aptly named studies. And this study investigated the effects of different music tempos on performance, psychological and physiological responses to well-trained cyclists. They got 10 well-trained male cyclists that had done a minimum of three years racing. They got them to perform four 20-kilometer time trials on a trainer over a period of four weeks. And they were spaced one week apart and they randomly placed music of varying beats per minute with each attempt. 140 beats per minute, 120 and 100 and no music. And the performance, completion time, power, output, average, speed and cadence, physiological, heart rate, oxygen, consumption, breathing frequency and respiratory exchange ratio, physiological RPE and psychological mood states data were collected for each trial and the results were... No significant changes in performance, physiological or psychophysical variables. Total mood disturbance and tension increased significantly in the fast tempo trial when compared to the medium and no music conditions. Wow, absolutely no change. Well, it's kind of to be expected, really. Like, how can music change you that much? I can understand it may help you mentally get through tough times or wherever you want to use it in that sense, but actually trying to drive your legs... From, from music coming in your ears, 
I don't know, interesting concept. But to me, the really interesting thing is the increased tension because I definitely experience increased tension every time I listen to Rotterdam Techno. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. I assume you will feel exactly the same way. Okay, Article 2. It's a look into a pro writer, Luca Mezgek. Sorry, Luca. Progression and patience. Earlier this year, Luca from Team Giant Shimano took back-to-back stage wins at the World Tour Walter Catalunya. Before this, you may never have heard of him, and here's why. Even last season, the team was still unsure of what type of sprinter Luca was, whether he was a sprinter that could climb, a classics rider, or a full-on flat sprinter. So in 2003, their approach was less targeted training and race program. On the final day of his season, he won a bunch sprint at the Tour of Beijing, and this was his first big win, and it gave him a huge boost in confidence. And because they assessed that over the season, he lacked support and confidence in races, which kind of made the difference where he got close to a win but didn't actually get a win. They then took that as him being capable of winning a sprint, but not having the support by the team in training as well as racing that showed him he could do it. Because outside of this, there was definitely positive signs in training that he was capable of decent sprinting numbers. So during the winter, they took this confidence from the win and this information from the year, and they focused on sprint-specific training both on the road, working sprinting-specific drills to build on his confidence, and also in the gym to build his power and explosiveness. And in December 2003, he started hitting watts per kilogram numbers similar to their main sprinter, Marcel Kittle, noting that he can climb better than Marcel. So overall, his progression was very big for one year. From January 2013 to January 2014, Luca improved his five-second power by 120 watts, which is a really, really big jump, especially when you're 25 and you've probably been training for 10 years already. So now from this information, the team has concluded that his numbers point him towards being a long sprinter because he has a high 15-second power output and they really think he's capable of winning Grand Tour stages. So for you, keep an eye on him. But also, this progression and documenting it really gives you a great insight into looking strategically at where your strengths are and then backing those, getting the confidence, and then hopefully getting the win. Alrighty then, it is nuts and bolts time, and today we're talking about what to consider when you are looking at purchasing one. It's no secret that I, like many cyclists and coaches, are big, big fans of power meters because there is just no beating the output metric when measuring gains and when training. The truthometer, as I like to call it, is hands down the best investment you can make for fitness and motivation when it comes to cycling. But I'm not here to sell you on the pros of a power meter. Instead, this episode is dedicated to what do you look for when you're going to buy one to help you make an informed decision about which one to buy should you be in the market for one. 2013 was declared by Rainmaker from DC Rainmaker to be the year of the power meter. And to me, maybe that was a little bit 
of a premature declaration. But I understand where he's coming from. It was certainly a big year for the power meter with the introduction of power meters that broke the magic $1,000 mark. Funny thing is, though, I believe that even the $1,000 mark has been shifted due to a change in expectations of what's possible. PowerTap, have you just been making extra profit all of this time? What's the no-brainer price for you, though? 300 400 500 What's the price that's going to get it past everyone in your household and get it onto your bike with limited or no suspicion? I think we can get close to that in the next 18 months with a few more power meter releases to come and a few of the newer ones to really cement themselves in the market or fade away and die an ugly death. The landscape is going to change again over the next 18 months, so there is a few things to watch out for, and it will be interesting to see how the big players step up to this change and whether they use their scale and production prowess to really offer value to consumers. So this is something that I am really looking forward to because I'd love to get a power meter on the bike of every single person that cares about getting better in their fitness. Saying that though, there is no better time to buy a power meter than yesterday. The second best time, yes, you guessed it, it is today. So let's have a look at the brands that are available today. None of this vaporware stuff, none of this talk. The ones that have been out there, the ones that have put it on the line and got it out to the consumers are the ones I'm going to talk about it today. And I've got to say, when you really break it down, there are only Nine brands that are out there, some of which sponsor the Pro Tour. And that isn't really relevant to you, except it's interesting for a couple of reasons. Testing at the highest level is important for credibility, but also durability. A pro is going to put their gear through the ringer. They're going to not care so much about what they've got. They only care about getting the data, making sure it's accurate. And that is probably about it. So there's a whole bunch of other factors that you need to consider when you're buying something. But it's good to know that it is at least proven at one level on the pro circuit. And while I am talking about pro tour teams, something that came up in my research was quite interesting. This is really a transition year for certain teams, such as Sky taking a one-year contract with Stages, but also the newer power meters such as Rotor, power to max Garmin Vector, and Pioneer, because at the end of this year, they will possibly have one whole year's worth of data and testing completed, which then could open up the market even more, because negotiations can start happening with other pro teams rather than the total lockdown and domination that SRM has had for a long, long time. And I'm not knocking SRM, but with innovation should come price drops as well as greater value for us, the consumer. So SRM really have it locked down at the moment. They are sponsoring or partnering with the majority of teams. So Tinko Saxoff, Trek, FDG, Lotto Bellasol, Giant Shimano, Orica Green Edge, BMC, Astana, Canada, Katusha, AG2R. So you can tell that they are super popular. And just as the rise of power meters full stop in the pro ranks, there are other options now that are popping up. And the Quark, 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 SRAM is only on Omega Pharma Quickstep, on specialized cranks as well, which is really interesting considering they are owned by SRAM, but that's specialized for you, which is more of a symptom 
of not many teams in general, only three teams being sponsored by SRAM. The two other ones have SRM units. So that is kind of part of the issue there. But you look down the list here, Power to Max has got a contract with Movistar, Rotor Power, Lamprey, Merida, Garmin Vector, of course, Garmin Sharp, Stages, and yes, the infamous Sky contract. Power Tap, don't sponsor anybody. That is interesting. And then the other two options I'm looking at, Polar Look Keo doesn't have anybody, and Pioneer does their development with Belkin. All of these brands are established, functioning, and supported, which really is a big deal when you're talking about a precision instrument like a power meter. There's a gamble when you're purchasing something or any new product from a tech company that is small or has no name. You don't know whether the support's good, whether the product's good, and whether the company's just going to disappear altogether because history does show that power meter companies sometimes die. So it's a big consideration when purchasing one. But what are the main considerations? For me, it's the reason you want to buy a power meter. No, not to go faster. The thing alone is not going to make you faster. It's the data, the data that the thing spits out, the pretty numbers that show you how good you actually are compared to your buddies or even Cavendish, which is mind-blowing for someone that grew up in my era which, yeah, okay, I was on the cusp of when power meters started, but really they have not been accessible up until the last five years, I would say. So so all of a sudden, being able to compare yourself to a pro is amazing, other than pros dominating Strava events, but that's a whole other issue. So making sure you have accurate and at least consistent data is, in my mind, the most important consideration when you are looking to purchase one. So accuracy, most manufacturers claim accuracy within a range of plus or minus 2%. That's kind of the standard marketing talk that power meter companies come up with. It's kind of like the bike weight claim though because it's not always as straightforward as you would think. However, it is really important how the power meter measures the forces applied by the rider and how it measures the speed so you know how accurate it's going to be. There are other factors here like the software that you use and the computer that's on your bike. The trouble with having a cycling computer these days is a phone. You've got a phone in your pocket that is absolutely brilliant, but it's not there yet. It's not socially acceptable for starters, but it's just not ready for prime time. It's still vulnerable to weather, and it's a $1,000 thing sitting in your pocket that if you damage it, you would be probably more pissed off than damaging something else on your bike. I don't know. but So that is kind of taken off. So you have to have a cycling computer that can take updates because there is changing and new metrics being added all the time. Can your computer handle the updates and does it show you these in real time or at least recording them so you can take it to some software and use later? But while we are talking about software, the power meter you choose should at least produce a file that the software can read and also the metrics that the power meter spits out. Because if you don't have software that can't give you the metrics, then what's the point? What's the point in having all this data if you can't actually see it and figure out how it works into your training and racing? But along the lines of accuracy is consistency. Because say, for example, 
I'm going to draw a parallel here between jumping on some scales, the the actual fat measuring scales. And it's not necessarily important that they're measuring the exact percentage of body weight fat that you have on your body. It's more important that it's consistent. So you know if you've lost something, that that loss then is over time consistent and you can try and draw conclusions between what you've been doing and the changes that have happened. So the same goes for consistency with a power meter. You want something that is consistent. Yes, accuracy is very, very important. So you can make comparisons to other riders or you can make comparisons to other systems. But consistency, if you can't get accuracy, consistency is the second best thing that you should be looking out for. Because if you're power meter is not accurate to 2% or whatever that standard range is, say it's 4%. As long as it's 4% every single time you hop on the bike, then you'll be able to see the changes over time, which really is one of the great benefits of a power meter. You can see whether your fitness is getting better or better or not. So I don't know how to really measure this, especially in a N equals one experiment. I would have to say you would just have to figure out are the numbers all over the place? Can you do repeatable workouts that show the same figures? There has to be a way that you can pick this up because a power meter or the software is not going to directly tell you if it's inconsistent. Some other considerations here because it is a instrument and there are considerations to make regarding the upkeep of the accuracy of this information, things like calibration and zeroing become very important here. Calibration is, you know, like hanging the weights off it to match up the amount of torque to a known amount of torque and just comparing the two and seeing if they work. And if not, then just adjusting it so you get that accurate reading. But zeroing just like calibration, is really fundamental to get the best data from your power meter. It needs to be done more often than calibration. So this is where it comes down to how hard is it to do this? Does it even need to be done every ride or every other ride during a ride? Because if it's time-consuming, then as soon as you go out on a ride, then you'll be thinking, yeah, I can just skip it, won't have to happen. And then the accuracy of the data suffers. So the best calibration is the one you do or the one you will do or can do with ease. Everything else will just get in the way of you getting good data. So now we move into the funky parts of power meters and getting them happening. It's installation, which power meters sometimes need a lot of care or a little bit of care to kind of get them working properly. Some units are very fiddly and have parts that can break Garmin pods. Um, And some are really, really sensitive to the quality of the installation. Garmin. (laughs) But proper placement of cadence magnets and talking bolts and correct spaces, all this stuff you have to take into consideration because if you're going to keep it on one bike, then maybe it's a little bit easier. But if you're going to be moving these things around, then that becomes a really important consideration because, I don't know, if you're traveling somewhere and you have to take this thing and you have to put it on every time, that's just another 10, 15 minutes to put your bike together. Do you want to be doing that? That's just the consideration that you need to make. And that goes along with how flexible it is because if you want to move it from bike to bike, can you do that? Is it just wheels with power tap and you can just throw a set of wheels in? Or is it like a crank arm from stages that you can swap over bikes fairly easily? But is the crank length going to be the same? There is a whole lot of compatibility issues when it comes down to power meters because I'll tell you what, a pet peeve of mine is that there seems to be thousands of bottom bracket standards, standards 
They are absolutely not standards. And so it's a real pain in the ass if you're swapping from bike to bike and they have to be the same. And there's all these other things to consider such as uh, the gearing on your bike, the, a cassette if you're using a power tap and all those types of things, which is just really, really frustrating when you just want it to be a simple process. But just when you think you've got the hardware figured out, there are a whole other bunch of considerations like the communication protocols. I've spent time working through each different type of protocol and the products that you can use with these. And sometimes it's really frustrating because the wording can be different or you just don't know whether it accepts one thing or another. So make sure you get this right and probably ask the people that you're buying off if they can help you out with this because it is an expensive mistake to make if you can't return it. But Really, just make sure that all of your sensors, your head unit, and everything is compatible with it. If it's your phone, then it's compatible because it gets really complicated now with bridges and all the rest of it. You can figure it out over time, but it is a bit of a learning curve, like most of this stuff. So a couple of the final considerations here are, does it match the racing and riding that you do? It seems fairly simple, but now each discipline really does have its unique requirements, and we are slowly starting to see power meters that are more and more suited towards each niche application so stages can be used on a mountain bike power tap has hold in the cyclocross market so there really are a whole bunch of considerations not just bike but actual use that you need to think about so you have to make sure that it is durable enough for the type of riding and it can perform under the stresses that that type of riding or racing actually produces finally here and probably some people put this at number one and Okay, it is a big consideration considering it's not an easy buy at the moment is the cost. And it's not just the purchase cost because there can be some ongoing costs as well. And this is where you're seeing the new players in the market actually addressing these issues and getting some traction because of it. Any more buzzwords there? Okay, so one word, batteries. Batteries, 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 batteries. Batteries actually are pretty easy for most of the new ones. You can change them yourself. You can be quite straightforward to just pull them out and in. There's no having to take your whole power meter off and send it away send it away to the manufacturer to change. So you have to weigh up if you're doing these things yourself. Can you get away with just a cheap watch battery versus having to take the power meter off and sending it to someone to actually change the battery? So now that I've given you a bit of a rundown, hopefully I haven't bored you to tears, but I'm sure I have overwhelmed you with a lot of this data. It's not as overwhelming as soon as you start looking into the compatibility issues and the flexibility. It really starts to knock down the choices. So then once you have two or three, it's pretty straightforward to make a choice from there. But if not, send me an email. Ask me a question. If you're really on the fence about a certain one, if you want to talk about Garmin Vector, because I do have a lot of experience with those now, then get on the phone or send me an email and let's talk about it because it's confusing but it's definitely one of my favorite topics to talk about now the tech hacks and products section so i'm talking about a polar computer that's not released yet it's set for release very very soon it's called polar v650 and it got my attention because it's got a 2.8 inch color touchscreen which it just looks like an old school phone with a touchscreen but it's showing that these companies are starting to 
wake up and realize that we have smartphones, we need things on the bike that are compatible to smartphones, or we're just going to start swapping them over. It looks a lot more sexy than any Garmin head unit, so I will wait to see whether it's compatible with all parts, because it does say that it's Bluetooth compatible, but you never know as to which Bluetooth they're talking about. So definitely keep an eye on this one. And now that quote from the top of the show, it's... It's uh, Cameron Ware from the Cannondale Pro Cycling Team. How are you? Acting as a sales manager for the day. I've mentioned it before, but I'm a big fan of Cam's blog and I'm pumped to see if he can make the tour team this year. He's a pretty funny guy. He has a very interesting history. Coming from being an Olympic rower in 2004 and then coming across to cycling, I think he's really good for the sport. So keep an eye out for him. And if he's at the Tour and you're there, definitely cheer him on. And that's it for this week. You have been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash power meter, meter spelt in the American sense, to find any links in this week's episode. From there, you can sign up for a free wheelhouse masterclass, Building the Base, a step-by-step system for achieving your cycling goals. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. Yeah, I'm just uh, ringing up on uh, behalf of the Cannondale guys here. It's the off-season for us now, of course, and um, as part of our contracts going forward, we're all doing a little bit of work in the office as well. And I'm... uh, I'm the salesman for the week. Yeah, so I was just ringing up and seeing how you were going with those Synapse bikes. They're good. Right, are you, uh, you keen on getting more of them into the shop? or? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I personally just went for a ride on one then, and uh, they're pretty comfortable, aren't they? I can see what you mean by... Uh, the, the older clientele being a little bit more uh, adaptable to their needs, so to speak. Oh, well, well um, thanks for your time there, Ben. And, uh, yeah, well, if you like, do you want me to make a, a follow-up next week or so and I'll look into these posts and get that information to you or ship out an email or something with uh, what's available and, and, if you, and you can just let us know when you need them. Okay, okay, yeah, no worries. No worries, we'll be back to you ASAP. Alrighto, thanks, lovely to talk to you, Ben. Catch ya, see ya. (laughs) 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 Okay, we got seat base. I'm sure, and I'm looking at the seat post thinking, what could be different in a seat post? Like, how do they change? Like, they go in the bike and they go up and down. That's great. Yeah, right. That was awesome. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, you might. Anyway, you're going to have to call Ben back with that information. Yeah, I'm going to have to. He actually wants that information.